Life has its ups and downs. Life can be fun. Life is sometimes hectic. And life is full of choices. Welcome to Venture, the podcast that brings the biblical truth to the ventures that we face in this world and live in today. Hey, Venture Podcasters. Welcome back to another episode of Venture Podcasts. I'm your host, Dan Wills, and I am the lead pastor at Chandler's Church in Bellevue, Nebraska, and so excited to have you listening with us today. Uh, we are in week three of a series called Outlasters. And so if you've missed the last uh, few weeks, uh, you've missed a couple of things. And so I encourage you to go back and listen to the first two episodes if if uh, this is the first time catching up with us for Outlasters. So make sure you listen to the other two. Uh, so it'll make a little bit more sense if you do that. Uh, so please kind of fall back and, and then catch up with us a little later. I hate to kick you back there, but that's just kind of the way it works on this series, unfortunately. Uh, but I do want to remind you that if you are listening today, uh, I believe you're listening for a reason and a purpose, and that God will give you that. Uh, I, I, I believe that with all my heart, that if you pray for that and look for that, God will will give you a reason why you are, are listening to this podcast. And so uh, let's kind of catch up. We Over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at the reality that so often the first generation is marked by courage, uh, entrepreneurial uh, spirit is what I want to say, uh, strength. Uh, prosperity. Uh, the second generation comes along and inherits something that they appreciate, but they did not earn. And so instead of growing uh, what they inherit, they try to protect it uh, from what they try to protect what they inherited in a sense. And then the third generation comes along and all they, they saw was this, this protection mode, this preservation mode. And they often reject the values of those who have gone before them and all the work of the, the first generation is, is, um, is often lost by the third generation. And this is such a challenge when it comes to passing our faith along. And so what I want to talk about today is how do we create a hunger for a first-generation faith in Christ and, and, and those who are to come, right? And so I want to kind of revisit our, our key scripture that we've looked at for the first uh, couple of weeks, and it comes from Psalm 112, uh, and specifically verses 1 through 4 and 6. And here's what it says. It says, Praise the Lord, how joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. Their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. They themselves will be wealthy, and their good deeds will last forever. Light shines in the darkness for the godly. They are generous, compassionate, and righteous. God comes to those who lend money generously and conduct their business fairly. Such people will not be overcome by evil. Those who are righteous will be long remembered. And so I want to take a look specifically at verse 2 today. So let's, let's kind of take a look at that because to me this is so important. And so I really want to stay there. So verse 2 says, their children will be successful everywhere. And as a parent, that's a tremendous vision and goal to have. But more than just as a parent, I believe as a church, we should have a vision for our children, not just, not just uh, our children or your children, but our children everywhere to be successful. And for that to be true, I think it's important for us to define what success is as a follower of Christ and what success success is not, right? So, so if you look at what culture says success is today, um, it's somewhere close to this, this statement I'm about to give you. 
Um, and, and the culture basically says success is raising well-rounded, well-educated, happy kids. Well-rounded, well-educated, happy kids. Wouldn't you agree, for the most part, culture basically says that, right? Somewhere in there, that's pretty accurate. So we want well-educated, well-rounded, happy kids. The problem with well-rounded, um, is that's where we want to expose them to all sorts of different things. Quite honestly, the problem is that most successful people are not well-rounded. Now, I'm not going to say that all of them are, but the general vast majority of them are, are incredibly successful at, at a narrow set of gifts, okay? Well-educated, admittedly, is a, is a great goal, but if our children score 35 on their ACT and yet have no integrity and no character, they are not successful at what matters most. And let's talk about happy, okay? We talked about this in, in week number one, that so often in our culture, we bow down to the, at the, and worship the, the altar of happiness, right? We just want our kids to be happy. The problem is God did not call us to be happy. He called us to be holy. Be holy as I am holy. Happiness can never be the goal. Happiness, joy, and contentment are byproducts of a, of a life lived for the honor and glory of God. And so we're not going to be so concerned about today's happiness, but instead we're going to focus on tomorrow's readiness. That's what we talked about. So we're going to impart life into the next generation that they could glorify God in all they do. All right? So if success for us is not, to, is not consistent with what culture is, what are we going to call success then? Well, here's how I define it as a follower of Christ. What are we called to do as it pertains to the next generation, all right? Here's what I believe. I believe if you are a follower of Christ, that we are a call to unleash Christ-centered, biblically-anchored world changers, okay? We're, we're helping prepare them to glorify God in all they do, to train them up in a way that they should go. When, when they're old, they will not depart from it. We want to unleash Christ-centered, right? In other words, Jesus is not Lord in name only, but he is first planted deep within our hearts that we will glorify him in all that we do. In a world that where it's very difficult for anyone to take a stance for constant truth, our, our children will be biblically anchored, okay? God's word holds them firmly planted to his truth. And because they are Christ-centered, biblically anchored, then their ultimate goal is not their happiness, but they're going to make a difference in this world. And the byproduct will be a life of contentment and fulfillment because God has used them to make a difference, right? So what are we called to do? We are called to unleash Christ-centered, biblically anchored world changers. And some of you are going, man, I'm, I'm just trying to pay the bills and, and keep my kids in shoes. Do you realize how fast their feet grow, Dan? I mean, just trying to keep them in shoes is difficult enough, right? Well, here's what I've noticed about this series. Okay. I've had people call me, uh, this series is what we're, we're preaching on in our church. Um, and we're right. We're week number three. And here's what I've noticed. There are some people that, that, that don't have children and they're actually more excited about this series than those who do. Those that have children are like, man, I messed up. I feel horrible. Okay. It's interesting because when you don't have kids, life is so much different than when you do. When you think you're ready to have kids, you're not. For example, when you don't have kids, think about this. Some of you will remember. You'll remember this, right? Think about this. When you don't have kids and you want to go somewhere, what do you do? You just go somewhere, right? Uh, here's how it works in case you don't remember, okay? Some of you, you don't remember this, I know. You're like, I think I'll go somewhere. And then you go. That's, that's how it works, right? That's what you do. When you have kids, you never just go somewhere. My wife and I only have two kids. 
And I can remember back in the day that if we wanted to be somewhere by Thursday at noon, we had to start leaving Tuesday evening, okay? Because it takes that long to get them anywhere. You're trying to get them out of the house and there's one missing and you find the missing one and now you've lost the other. It's like herding cats, right? I couldn't imagine having more than, than two at one time. Those that have three, four, five, six or more kids, you're just crazy, right? I, that's, it, it's just, I don't, know how, I don't know how you did it, okay? Because they're like, you, you, you got to go through the process. Oh, where are your shoes? Where are your pants? Have you showered today? No? Well, have you showered this week? <laughs> Brush your hair. You know, do this. Never mind. Let's just get in the car and go, okay? That's how the conversations would go. So anyway, with all that being said, if you are a parent, I understand because we're called to unleash Christ-centered, biblically anchored world changers, and we're just trying to pay the bills for their dance classes and such, right? I get it. So how do we do this? That's the question, right? So what I want to do today is make it so simple that every single one of us, parent or not, if we're 18 or 88, that you are inspired to use your gifts to help the next generation have a hunger and a desire for first-generation faith in Christ. Okay, and I'm going to make it as simple as I can. What we're going to try to do is manage what we expose to them. All right, think about this. What we expose them to determines who they become, and we know this. If you love basketball and you expose them to basketball, chances are pretty good they're going to like more than than science. Right? We're going to like that more than science. What what we expose them to determines who they become. Proverbs says it this way: Walk with the wise. Right? Expose them to wise people, and what do they become? They become wise but help them run around a bunch of fools and what happens? They suffer harm. What we expose to them determines what they become. Here's what we need to acknowledge, all right? They are naturally going to be exposed to a lot of bad things just going through life. Bad attitudes, uh, over-sexualized society, materialism, prejudices, uh, bullying and such, right? And so as parents, we just can't say, you're going to love Jesus. That's just the way it's gonna be. You're going to be biblically anchored. No questions asked, right? We cannot force them to love Jesus, but here's what we can do. We can expose them to experiences that increase the likelihood of them falling in love with God and growing spiritually. Okay? We need to understand something. This is so important. We cannot force them, but we can expose them to those things that increase the likelihood that they will have a first-generation hunger and a desire to know Christ in an intimate and real way. So we're going to manage their exposure so that, with the help of God, we can raise Christ-centered, biblically-anchored world changers, and that will be success to us, okay? So, so let me give you three things that we're going to expose them to. The first thing is this. We're going to expose them, that we're going to expose the next generation to the joy of knowing God personally, okay? We're going to expose them to the joy of knowing God personally. Uh, in fact, this is what Jesus said in John 17. He said, and this is eternal life. And then he defined what eternal life is. It is to know my Father who sent me. He says, this is eternal life, to know God who sent me. That's it, to know God, right? The problem is sometimes in Christian homes, rather than exposing them to a relationship with God, we expose them to rules. And it's rules, 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 and rules. And rules without relationship lead to rebellion. I am convinced that the next generation is not rejecting Christ as much as they are rejecting legalism and hypocrisy, right? We must expose them to the joy of an intimate relationship with God. So if we want them to have a relationship with God, the joy of knowing God, then there must be some conversations. They have to go on. You don't have a relationship without conversation, right? Trust me, you know, if you don't have a conversation with your wife for two, three, four weeks, 
you're not going to have a relationship much longer. Okay. And so I encourage you to have a very sincere goal of helping them to know God through his word and experience him through the power of prayer. Okay. And you might be thinking at this moment, Dan, there's no way I could ever have a holy prayer meeting with the family. Okay. Well, I'm going to tell you this, don't have a set family prayer time in your home. Okay. Don't, don't have a complete family time. Now you and your spouse. Yes. Have a, have a, a set prayer time. That way you guys are making sure you're praying together, but the whole family you, you, if you have children, no, you just pray consistently and often with the children. Okay. You don't, you don't have to have a set prayer time with them, but pray when there's a boo-boo pray when there are hurt feelings, pray when there is a big game coming up, you know, pray when someone's fighting with one another, pray when there's a thunderstorm and people are afraid, pray every single day, but pray on an as needed and circumstantial, uh, selection. Okay. For example, do something my friend did with his family, all right? It would be a spontaneous time. Don't just, just set a time, but just kind of just go up and make it a spontaneous thing. And they, what they do, they said to their family, hey, let's have a popcorn and prayer night. That's what they called it, okay? Because they wanted them to associate praying with something fun. So they would make popcorn, and you'd have to eat popcorn before you'd pray, all right? And some of you are thinking, that, might, that, that sounds like a really great idea. That must have been amazing. And I can just visualize, right, the, the four-year-old doing some deep intercession before the throne of room of God, right? You just see him doing that. No, it didn't go that way, okay? Let's be real. They're, they're little kids. You might have little kids and things, right? Let me tell you what my friend dealt with, all right? It was like they started to pray, and, and the first thing someone says is, his feet stink, Okay. And then it was, tell him to stop touching me. And then, then she's peeking during prayer. And he had to say, hey, someone is peeking in prayer. There's always someone peeking in prayer for some reason. And by the way, if you're peeking in the prayer, that means you're a peeker hypocrite because you wouldn't have been able to know the other person was peeking unless you were peeking. And that's kind of how the conversations would go during this whole time. That's how it went. But it's popcorn and it's prayer. And it was fun for them. Okay? And because they prayed, guess what? When good things would happen, they would connect God to answering their prayers. Not only do we need to believe in the power of prayer, but we need to study God's word every day. Every single one of the family needs to read God's word every day. Now, the problem is if you make it a rule, then we know they will rebel, right? So it needs to become a, a cultural shift in the home. Okay, and it starts in the first generation. You as the parents, remember, we're we're talking to you as we are now the first generation. Even though you're third, fourth, fifth, whatever generation, we are looking at this as we are now the first generation. So, guess what? If they see dad do it and they see their mom do it, suddenly they see the value of knowing God through His Word. They will see the joy of knowing God personally. They will see that mom and dad, though they're not perfect, but they talk to God. They experience God. God corrects them. God convicts them, God comforts them, and God guides them, and then God empowers them, and God leads them. And they have something now that they want. And if your children do not have a first-generation love for Jesus, maybe you need to turn up the heat and seek him personally. Because if you're not doing those things, how how is that going to translate, right? And when they see it, believe it or not, more is caught than taught. We want to expose them to the joy of knowing God personally. The second thing we want to do is... We're going to expose them to the presence and power of God in his church, okay? We're going to expose them to the presence and power in God in his church. You see, if you miss church, okay, you miss a lot. So if you're listening to this podcast because you missed church this last Sunday, you missed a lot. You really did. You missed all the things that are going on. If you missed the previous week, 
Okay. Then you, you missed a whole lot then too, right? Cause if, if you didn't listen to the podcast or the church service, then, then you missed out the whole thing about the rope. And that was so great. Right. And I don't know about you, but when I hear a message from, from another pastor back in the day when I wasn't preaching on every Sunday, sometimes God would speak to me, right? A lot of times God would speak to me and hearing that with your family and discussing what God is saying every single week is it's so rich. Okay. Let me tell you a question that has not been asked in my home for a long time. Okay. This question is, has not been answered for, for years. I mean, years, years, years. The question is, do you think we should go to church this weekend? And it's not because it's a rule. And it's not because we say you have to go to church. We go because it's part of our lives. It's a priority to our family. Here's the bottom line. For most of you, there are things that are non-negotiable, right? Your kids going to school, non-negotiable. Work, pretty much non-negotiable, right? Unless you're under the age of a work age, you know, those types of things. Uh, in my home, being Michigan fans, non-negotiable, okay? Uh, we're going to love the Wolverines, whether you like it or not. That's just the way to know. But, but you know what I'm talking about. And yet, for so many parents, though, on the weekend, do you want to go to church this weekend? That's what we ask them. That's the one negotiable thing that comes up again and again and again. Now, I don't want to make anybody feel guilty, but if you only trump church for other things, like saying, you know, well, it's a beautiful day, so let's just stay home and enjoy it. Well, it's raining, so let's not go. Well, we're up late for the game last night. Well, we've got a tournament this weekend, so might as well not go. We've got a recital this weekend, definitely can't go. Well, we're kind of tired and just, just need some rest. Yeah, I just think we should sleep in. If you only trump church for other things and you never ever trump anything else, else for the worship of God, you are sending a very clear message of what your true priorities are. We need to expose them to the presence and power of God in his church. So they long to be in his presence with other people. Think about the verse that we read from Psalms, right? I love that. It says their children will be successful everywhere. Their children. Whose children? You know, not just my children, not just your children, but everybody's children. You see, I am so thankful for those of those people that were in, in, at Chandler Acres over the years that have cared for my children, okay? Because you're the church. And I want you to know, those, those, I want everybody else to know as well, that right now, my family, we care about your children. So if you were to show up at our church, we'd, we'd love them and treat them as just as we, they were our part of our family. And I just have to say uh, to those of you uh, that have served in various aspects of our church uh, or served in you know, different um, kids' ministries and youth ministries and any other ministries, that it pertain to age, kids' age, okay, those people have made a, a huge impact uh, in my kids' lives, okay? You helped my kids become fully devoted followers of Christ, and that's so huge, okay? I just want to recognize them. And I've also been blessed to have been a part of some of kids' and students' lives over the years, okay? I've been able to help kids go through divorces, through, through the loss of loved ones, and even moments of depression to the point of them considering taking their own lives, and God blessed me to be a mentor in those situations. And there are a few things in my life that are richer than that. And, and I don't do that because I'm a, a pastor. I did that because I'm a follower of Christ. And that's what we do in the context of the church. Their children will be successful everywhere. When we expose them, we expose our children to the presence and power of God in the church, there's something rich about experiencing God together, right? 
sensing his presence, talking about it. And this, I believe with all my heart, must be a top priority in our lives. What we expose them to determines what they become. And if we expose them to just fashion or just sports or just good education, then we expose them to all those things, and then we're going, they're going to become well-rounded, well-educated, maybe happy kids. But if we expose them to the joy of knowing God personally, we expose them to the presence of God and his power in the church, then they become Christ-centered, biblically-anchored world changers. Okay? So the first thing we were, we're going to do is we're going to expose them to the joy of knowing God personally, right? Number two, we were going to expose them to the presence, the power of God in his church. And number three, we want to expose them to the thrill of being used by God. Okay. We want to expose them to the thrill of being used by God because they will be exposed to the thrill of scoring a goal. Okay. And they will be exposed to the thrill of making an A on an exam. And they will be exposed to the thrill of going to their first prom. They may even be exposed to the thrill of playing the flute in the first chair. Okay. But I also want to expose them to the eternal thrill of God, using them to make a difference in somebody else's life. And we're serious about this here at Chandler, okay? That, that we say when a child enters the sixth grade, not only are they allowed to serve, but they're allowed to lead. We, we have sixth graders that enter a youth program, okay? And, and they're allowed to, as, as sixth graders and above, to help lead in our ruckus rally, which is our, our, our children's program. Okay, for preschoolers and kindergarten, elementary age kids, um, they're able to uh, use their gifts for something outside of themselves. And they recognize, oh my gosh, God just used me. I just made a difference. God gave me the words to say. I helped somebody. I was able to pray with someone who was in need. I was able to lead someone to Christ. There is no thrill greater than God using me to make a difference in somebody else's life. That's what they get to say. Um, in fact, this, this past Sunday, we were able to brag on some of our next generation world changers. You know, there's, we have several kids in our, in our ministry, in our church that, that have helped do this. And, and so, um, we have a full, uh, group of young adults coming up with a first generation faith in Christ. You see, they don't have to do something even that big, but when you see someone encourage someone else, go up to them and say, Hey, do you realize God just used you to make a difference? Hey, when you listen to someone, do you realize that God just used you to make a difference in their life? And you expose them to the thrill of being used by God, and suddenly something is born within them, and there's this hunger. They will be like, I want to know the same God that I've seen transform my parents' lives, and I, and I want to represent this God that I experience every week in the context of the local church. They will say, I don't just go to church, I am the church. And I'm here to meet the needs of the world because God has used me to make a difference in somebody else's life. And you can't talk me out of using my gifts for a higher calling. Now, they might not say those words exactly, but that's how they're going to feel and that's how they're going to portray it, okay? So rather than settling for just being well-rounded and well-educated and happy, we're going to see a generation emerge that is Christ-centered, biblically anchored, and passionate about changing the world. And it's going to take every single one of us, okay? every single one of us, because our church, Chandler Acres, and many other churches care about all of them. And they, our children, will be successful because, okay, because you got to hear me on this. I want you to understand this. The children, they are not the future of the church. They are the church of today. And it's time for us to take our roles seriously, imparting first-generation faith to the next generation, believing they will do even more for the glory of God than we have ever done. Amen? 
Amen. That concludes another episode of Venture Podcast. I hope you're enjoying this series on Outlasters. Uh, that wraps up our third week, and so we're going to finish up next week with the fourth week of, uh, of Outlasters. And then we're on a, a small little series called uh, To Gather. And then, believe it or not, Easter is just around the corner, and we're going to start a new series called How Sweet the Sound. So please join us over the next few weeks for a couple of new series. We'll talk to you soon. If you'd like to know more about Venture Podcast or Chandler Acres Church, or if you'd like to support this ministry, please visit us at chandleracreschurch.com.